This is Radio Free Zion. Fascinated by the Elizabeth Holmes stuff, and I started reading a bunch of stuff about um, voice and like the what are you doing? <laughs> the Elizabeth Holmes face. <clears throat> the Elizabeth Holmes stuff is crazy. Like she had, she had people. One one of the whistleblowers. I didn't realize this. One of the whistleblowers was his grandpa was a big investor mm. in Elizabeth Holmes or in Theranos. Yeah, and like his grandpa basically disowned the grandson to like side with Elizabeth Holmes. Wow. You can, I mean, obviously a lot of crazy stuff happening, but as far as persuasion goes, like she, she was doing something special there. I mean, it's, yeah. The idea that, that the thing that particularly pissed me off is she got a Husky that was that was named after the famous husky that had delivered some vaccines or something. Oh, really? And like jokingly referred to it as a wolf because huskies are barely pets. Like they're sort mm. of semi-feral creatures that <laughs> will like live alongside you and eat all your AirPods, uh-huh. which is the real reason that we have the <laughs> the improvement in our headphones is Fender Eight. Like for hey, all the AirPods, all the AirPods in the house. Um, but naming your husky after the most famous husky is—you're not trying to pass it off as a wolf. And there was a bunch of press stories. So, so you were frustrated because I was frustrated she that, admitted that it was a dog. No, I was frustrated that she, in passing, was like, "Yeah, that's that's the wolf." And then the journalist made it a whole story of Elizabeth fraud. Elizabeth Holmes is a fraud about her dog. And they like tried to spin the like fraud story of it's not actually a wolf. It's a husky. And I'm like, your, your, their frame was so strong that it completely blinded them to any nuance <laughs> in truth. Like huskies are pretty wolfy. Like they, you know, like Fenrir's got like, 2.6% wolf DNA or whatever. and So were you frustrated at Elizabeth I mean, I'm Warren frustrated. that she contaminated the narrative of the notion that the dog that you now have is not a wolf? Or no, were you no, no. frustrated with frustrated. the I was journalist just, I was, it, it for me failing see, to see the nuance? That it helped me see how the journalists are so intent and on destruction so of this the, character. The, that, the narrative was already written before they did exactly. any analysis into of course to what it's extent just, it's just what's the, the dog thing we can do that can make <laughs> what, what's the thing we can do that can give us the headline or the soundbite today of Elizabeth Holmes is a liar. It's just I don't know that was my that was one one point of frustration. I think was that like that wasn't like the thing that you first you know that wasn't like the first Dunning Kruger red pill. Oh no, like. No, I mean, it goes like <laughs> you were already on the on that path. It was interesting because I remember I studied anthropology in college mm-hmm. and I remember one of my professors had been doing a bunch of research around the um, like Mesa Verde and the cliff dwelling folks and, you know, the Anasazi Pueblo folks in the in southwestern America. And when some major news organization had reported on his research they were talking about cannibalism and witchcraft and just completely 
blowing all nuance out of the way and you know like and i i remember and maybe it was even some like um who's the linguist at mit that is famous he's a famous leftist Noam Chomsky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's the only person who would describe Noam Chomsky as a linguist at MIT. He's, you know, the semantic structure of knowledge yeah, no, and all I, these other things. <laughs> like, he had some important contributions back in the day. <laughs> but it's, it's that's, a that's semantic the, structure of knowledge. perfect insight into Connor's brain ever. But yeah, the, the, the MIT linguist. Who was the name of that German flautist in the 1940s? Mozart. Uh, Hitler. Oh, yeah, yeah, He wasn't a flautist. (laughs) He was, wasn't he? Did he? I thought he played the flute. When you have any kind of expertise and then you see the media report on the area of your expertise and you're like, this is completely bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then you realize every time I read anyone writing about some area of expertise. Yeah, Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be some bullshit. I recognize that, yeah. if, if I mean, that's... But that's just particularly got me angry. Then I so Noam Chomsky tipped you off to that, maybe. Interesting. Maybe. I, I'd be interested to know, like, if you could, like, I mean, if I were going all the way back, I'd go back to like Neil Postman, you know, amusing ourselves to death. Mm-hmm. The idea that, like, Brave New World is a more accurate threat analysis of our current state of civilization than 1984, and yeah, like Brave New World, everyone's in the feelies. It's like this totally dictatorial thing but everyone's sort of oversaturated and hyper stimulated and you know thinks it's a good thing mm. and uh you know i haven't read that one, it's so. a really it's a really 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 good one the, the thesis is basically so there's the kids too are much all stimulation so we don't pay attention to important stuff because yeah it's it's not that uh we all need a dopamine fast so there's a a one way you could create a dictatorship is make everything a vote and send people just a yellow phone book full of all the different things that they have to vote on. Yeah, like and California. Take, <laughs> and, and take advantage of the fact that no one's going to vote. Right. And, so it's or like no the, one's going to be able to be an informed voter. And so if you can, Basically, if you DDoS people with decision-making, then they fail to make important decisions. All right, this thing. is... there's. We're, this is our free association session of the podcast right, where we just it. go on go on a, a couple rides but another one of my favorite books is um the world beyond your head by okay. uh, matthew crawford and one of the things he talks about is this the unholy alliance that is neoliberalism where you have you know enlightenment liberalism says everything should be a choice you mm-hmm. like man should be a completely self-authoring self-creating thing and we should abolish all notion of like tradition or any sort of constraints any any constraint or bond you would have to have to your family to your you know your wife or your parents or your kids like nothing everything is optional well it, is there like a a level of moralism there like a you know it's the belief that freedom is, freedom is the only value right so if okay. it, and so this would be like the liberal so side. as long as you're not infringing upon somebody else's freedom you should be able to choose everything go nuts right okay. And then on the other side of it, so this this is the, like, philosophy, or this is the sort of, like, cultural underpinning that says, like, you choose your gender, you choose your, like, everyone can be a YouTube star if Everything that's what you want relative. to be. Everything's Everything relative. There isn't, there isn't any sort of absolute moral order, right? Okay. 
Um, and so then you can't have a critic, like a cultural conversation about what it means to live a good life. And on the other side of it, so you have, you have the left sort of tearing down all of the, he would call them cognitive jigs. And we can go into that with like what a, a jig is, mm-hmm. but basically the attention scheme, all of the things that would sort of be the decisions that had been made for you by previous generations, those get torn down. And then the other side, capital rushes in to fill every, to, to create a sort of nudge style choice architecture. This was the big hmm. idea of the Obama administration is we'll just use these sort of behavioral nudges to guide people towards doing the right thing. It's like, you're being subtly psychologically nudged when you walk into a grocery store and there's one box of cereal that's sort of, you know, more prominently placed than the others. It just makes it, you know, the, the ground slopes towards you making certain decisions. So, so by, the by idea, what means so the, the, with the, the government or... Or I, capital, right? So what he's talking about so is that basically the, the, you know, we're DDoSing people with decisions mm-hmm. and then capital sort of tries to nudge them towards making decisions that might not be in their interest, but are in the interest of the capital. Okay. So that was, that's the, sort of the, the state of the world under neoliberalism is you have. Okay. Yeah. I just hate everything. <laughs> 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 that's the thing I've been wrestling with is the, the, uh, to, to keep taking us tangent on tangent. I've been listening to a bunch of Jordan Peterson because mm-hmm. I, I got in uh, Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson references a ton to Carl Jung and I've, I've, I've enjoyed his analysis of it and noticing that you know he has this, this thing that the thing that gives people PTSD is when they experience malevolence like people who are like willfully causing suffering mm-hmm. on them or other people they care about and it sort of like rocks their notion of you know good and evil your and, morality blends yeah. and they're shifts. like wow they're ba- they're bad mean people in the world like or they're people and then you but the hard thing is that you see that in yourself and you mm. see like the, the so if if people aren't de facto good then i may not be de facto good and then especially when you 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 can get bitter and resentful and then you see the sort of like and if you can't integrate the darkness inside yourself you're either just going to be resentful and naive and you know or you can go really dark. So hmm. that's, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this recently, like, and specifically in like, the context of Would Silicon you do Valley. the Elizabeth Warren thing, you know? <laughs> right. In, given, in that given situation. Given the right set of incentives. Given the right set of might. setups, you might. Yeah, I was talking about this with somebody. I can't even remember who. Um, but I, like, I kind of showed up in Silicon Valley believing strong like believing enough in the notion that people were optimizing for their long-term good and relationships matter and i think that's you know broadly true in silicon valley but as you kind of get you know frankly as you rise up the levels in silicon valley and as you see more into the weeds you realize that it's far more nuanced and complex than that right there are even you know not that this is good or evil necessarily but you know the some of the people that are strongest in the, you know, founders should control the company. They're at times the same ones being like, all right, founder, if you don't take this company public because I need a return, I'm going to fire you. Like it's not. So I guess my journey of the past four or five years was like one of a ton of naivete and like, this is an amazing place. And then you kind of start to see, 
the dark side of it a little bit. Yeah. Not not even dark necessarily, but like more complex than yeah. I had assumed. Um, and now, yeah, and now it's at the point where, and you know, so for a while I like had this sorting function in my mind of like, oh, you know, person X is good, person Y is bad, and the purpose of you know, when you're raising money is to talk to all of the people who've worked with that person in the past so you can sort them cleanly into that binary box. And then over time you realize like, no, actually every individual person when faced with a different set of incentives and making different choices, right, will act differently in different circumstances. So you, so you have to actually understand as much nuance as you can about every individual. And like, you know, there's some of it i guess is kind of the never meet your heroes thing like yeah. you meet the people that you just respected the hell out of and you realize like they're flawed mm -hmm. and and i think i have to be careful to not be like oh that you know that person's an idiot or that person's an asshole or whatever like you have to you have to weigh that against like there's still you know like I, know, I, I think we were losing the ability to have that nuance in like a personal relation. So it's like, you know, it was Steve Jobs, a, you know, a jerk or was he a genius? It's like, well, he's totally both. Yeah. And at different times, different levels of each. And you and are too, right? Every. Totally. Like it, it's being able to, you can't see the light and darkness in other right. people if you can't see the light and darkness inside yourself too. Totally. I, I think, you know, you were talking about incentives and I've, I've been on this kick of the world is already governed by unfriendly artificial general intelligence. And it is these incentive setups of, you know, social media trying to optimize for the li most likes and the system doesn't care whether you're the tweet that gets the most likes. It's going to, the algorithms are going to put the thing that it gets the most likes into the public consciousness and democracy will, is sort of just a, more blown up version of you know it's more complicated but it's more, a more blown up version of social media as we've seen from the last few elections and capitalism is like well if you're not the one who's going to take the company public then we're going to find somebody else who will take the company public you know if you won't if you won't slot yourself into the maximum capital the market is demanding x and you're not x right now so, so we're gonna find we'll, x. we'll sub find some other x and and the thing that i think is important about human choice and keeping humans having power in the mix is that you can make moral trade-offs <laughs> that mm -hmm. you can you can say actually i'm not going to be optimizing for the most money or the most popularity right now there is a higher good that i i can aim for and i can choose not to do that and you're sort of you you can end up struggling against one of these incentive systems like the the best one of my favorite essays of all time is the meditations on moloch which is moloch is this you know, God in Carthage when there were the Punic Wars between Carthage and Rome. And parents would offer their infant sons to this fiery idol of, you know, this this cow-headed god, and they would burn their kids alive in order to get victory in war. And Moloch, you know, there's a, a beautiful howl. It's this great poem by uh, Allen Ginsberg. And... He's, you know, sort of setting up Moloch as this, these, th a description of the system, you know, n the no one wants to 
pave paradise for a parking lot, but like Moloch does. And so it, I, I loved this essay because it was tying in these these ideas with a particular incentive setup, which is an arms race, basically a race to the bottom type scenario where you can improve your relative personal local condition by defecting against the common good, right? Mm. So if, you know, there's a bunch of people living by besides a lake, you know, a bunch of factories or something, and, and one of them can benefit by polluting the lake, and it hurts everybody else a little bit, but it, it gives them some some relative local rise. Eventually, everybody ends up polluting the lake, even though no one, everyone ends up in a worse off situation, but the relative power keeps stabilizing and just making the globe worse. And that's that's evil, right? There's There are shapes... This this could, this could lead into some of the other timeless <laughs> stuff that I wanted to talk about, but it's not that energy and matter are the only fundamental things in the universe. There's math. Math isn't like oh, I hit my mic. Uh, it's not matter or energy, but it is sort of the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry. Like they exist before the the things which the laws of chemistry exist when there's only hydrogen helium in the earth or in, in the world, you know, when there's, when there's just stars and there's no carbon, there's the, the laws that govern how carbon's going to behave are still sort of waiting to find some way to manifest themselves in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the constant two plus two equals four exists before there's a mind or a calculator that can, sure. that can run that calculation. So if you think about the sort of, fundamental components in the universe you've got these patterns too and some of these patterns are patterns like moloch where there's like they make the world worse for living conscious things hmm. um so that's you know evil is timeless and the question is are you going to will you succumb be, be to an that? agent yeah. yeah are you going to like are you going to be an agent that will give that you know wickedness a way of manifesting itself in the world or not or you know you can you can also do things that are hard and difficult but allow some goodness to flow into the world and we are the universe's way of realizing itself so yeah sure that's that's anyways relates to your uh, <laughs> I don't remember where we started with that Elizabeth Warren Elizabeth Warren <laughs> yeah started uh, yeah Elizabeth Warren Elizabeth Warren's voice Elizabeth Warren's dog Dunning Kruger effect oh, Noam Chomsky or sorry yeah Elizabeth Holmes dog oh yeah you're right I'm yeah. mixing up my Elizabeth evil Elizabeth <laughs> just kidding uh, not really though but um, we all yeah we all have an evil evil Elizabeth evil inside us that's, that's the moral of the story is alright well, like, maybe we'll throw another I'll throw another timeless thing in here and then we can go back all right, to some well, timeless we'll start. We'll start with this and then we'll go into whatever we go into. So my favorite, uh, one of my favorite ideas I've come across in the last 10 years or so is the idea that our brains are, our, our neurons are basically single-celled organisms that just want to be connected to some like wire you know like they they need to be they need to have charge to to sort of stay alive so the thing which allows us to learn the thing which gives us neuroplasticity is the idea that there's basically these feral single-celled organisms that live in your head and you conceive of yourself as sort of having a like a little austin behind your brain but actually there's this whole economy 
of neurons that want to get hooked up to to thoughts that are going to get thought again. Or so they're each acting in their own self-interest, tiny self-interest. Yep. And net net that creates thought. And it, it it also means that there can be, you know, agency. Like the we think of agency as this very human thing of you know we're goal directed. We we can perceive things in the world to try to get our needs met or like to to advance. But how does that work if there? if each neuron is just like? Well, so you could think about it like it's kind of pre-programmed, you're, right? You're, there, there is. We, I, I've had this experience because I got addicted to nicotine. Okay. Right. Is that first some neurons get wired up that are activated when you know nicotine is is sent through them, um, and there's a pattern that gets manifest in these neurons that says, "Hey, like go have a cigarette, go you know chew some nicotine gum or whatever," mm-hmm. right? And the more they, there's a saying like energy flows where attention goes sort of thing. And it's just that, you know, or another saying is the neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm-hmm. So the first time I, I remember chewing nicotine gum, I was trying to hack this system to get myself addicted to working out. So I would chew nicotine gum <laughs> and um, work out and work out. And you're, Pavlovian so trying to like, oh, I really like working out because yeah. that makes and me then feel I would, like nicotine. And then I would try to extend that into, oh, I really like, you know, doing design work. So, so pretty I'm, soon you're just like and then I'm pretty doing soon nicotine all day. All day. <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon it, 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 it fires and wires with everything. Yeah. And, then, um, and then it ends up taking over some of these decision making so it's like Pavlov, but the, the bell's just ringing all day. Yeah, it's just like, like you know. <laughs> the, Unlimited you, food. Because you're both the dog and you're the bell. And right. you're the guy ringing the bell. And does, then does, suddenly the the dog is ringing the bell just whenever he wants. I've actually never thought about this. Does Pavlovian theory still work if, you know, like how the, the placebo effect can still work in some instances, even if people understand that they're taking the placebo? Uh, like it's it's that strong does i mean there's there's confounding factors with the whole placebo effect because a lot of times the people who are signing up for the placebo trials that's another that's a whole other yeah there's uh, i i I, there was a time because i had heard that the placebo effect works more basically the more sort of um cultural psychological structure is put into it so you would recover You'd, you'd get higher results from a placebo injection than from, from a placebo pill. Mm. You'd get even better results from a sham surgery where you like you got sure. sedated. They told you they did a surgery and you would see way higher. So is that just a function of like the, the level of believability that it and the rewiring you? of your neurons. So this is yeah. why exorcism works, right? Is because if you end up having a bunch of neurons that have fired together that believe you're like, hosting possessed. hosting some archaic demon that mm-hmm. is causing you and and your whole self narrative is set up on like oh well this is why i'm doing these evil things is because i've got a demon in me clearly I'd like look at the behavior that's happening i'm reflecting on i don't have a story of myself that allows me to do such kinds of wickedness i must be possessed and suddenly the whole culture supports this structure mm-hmm. and says you know be gone foul spirit that can actually allow people to have massive like those those neurons stop wiring 
stop firing with the same Interesting. thing. So, and so it's a literal like medical. I don't know. If this is a materialist explanation physical. for for yeah. exorcism, right? Sure. Whether it's totally true or not, I don't know. But well, I mean, there, there's certainly there is something there's crazy something... about belief and right. Your your body and your mind are not separate systems, right? Like you've right. got neurons in your gut and in your all throughout your hands and things, and there's something. Yeah, there, yeah. there's in a ways reason... that we don't fully understand yet. I mean, what's the um what is it called when a soldier like loses their leg and then they feel phantom their limb, leg? Yep. Yeah. Phantom limb. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you have to you know, use a mirror and you can, if you see your muscles untense, you'll, yeah, the, you the, like, your, yeah, your exactly. muscles will actually unclench. Yep. Like it's, uh, it's real. So, so I guess my question was if you understand that you are, that the bell is merely a Pavlovian, like, Okay, I you know give myself food and the bell at the same time. Can do the neurons still wire to in such a way that the bell still makes you makes your mouth I don't water? Know. I don't. I mean, my first thought would be something like you're asking if like faith healing can work if you don't have faith, and my guess is probably not, right? If if the thing well, it depends because it, it depends on like how exactly that connection is formed yeah. right because the person who if you have faith in if you have the, phantom limb you understand that you don't have a limb but if you're you know seeing in a mirror that your leg is there it's enough to trick some subconscious part of your brain and in, yeah. into that yeah it's about where how you can propagate beliefs throughout your conscious and your subconscious right there's things that you know that you don't know right there's yeah. things that you know yeah there's just like there's a there's unknown unknowns and known unknowns there's you know or there's like unknown knowns there's things that you know about your situation or yourself that you're afraid this is kind of gets into this gets into the whole sense making rationality stuff right there are things that you know are true but if you acknowledge to yourself that they were true like could be something about your relationships could be something about you know how things are going to work right and there are fictions that are sort of necessary to hold up your your narrative of who you are and what's going on in your in your world and things that if you acknowledged you wouldn't be who you think you are and mm -hmm. it would be hard for you to continue having the kinds of relationships that you're having or the and so we're really good at hiding things from ourselves mm -hmm. that's the whole notion of the you know the unconscious mm -hmm. and the, the subconscious is that um that you don't it what's this the saying that some it's hard to make somebody see something when their job depends on not seeing it mm -hmm. right it's hard to like make elizabeth warren see elon musk as a productive member of society just like it would be hard for us as entrepreneurs to see someone like elon as like there's probably some way in which he is freeloading Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. And like, it's hard for us to see that in our heart the same way it would be hard for someone whose whole last 40 years of a career is based on a, a story of, well, there's the, you know, the capitalists and then there's the working class. And like, clearly the only enemy of the people is those factory people, right. you know, the factory <laughs> owners are the only, like, there's no way that there could be wickedness or evil inside the Politburo. Right. right? So, right. um, so yeah, it's, it's just, 
it makes you, you I've been thinking a lot about um, how do you bootstrap a collective intelligence right if we have this world that is being governed by these incentive gradients and these like you know the the algorithms of clicks and likes and money and votes and you know it, and it could be getting it, we keep nudging ourselves more and more in that direction as we advance machine learning right into this world that is just like an ai isn't like a person it's like a storm it's a pattern in the world that is you know becoming it's it's feeding off of its own power to become more powerful i buy the ai threat like it, it probably it's not going to look like terminator but it'll look like a really bad hurricane that eats everything and i don't want to see that happen so i've i've been obsessed with the idea of collective intelligence and like how can we get better at thinking as a society so i was worried about pandemic risks in like 2008 <laughs> i'd never even conceptualized the idea that the real danger would be well let me take a quick aside in the middle ages if the king was sick they would do the craziest stuff to try it they would like boil his scalp and like pour tin on his head and like like leeches and all these other things because the last thing you wanted as a doctor was to be accused of not doing enough sure. of letting the king die without doing pulling out all the stops and so they would you know like this is where the desire for like rhino horns and like you know the most exotic even expensive if there's a possibility things. that it may lead to something oh it would they would definitely make things way worse like yeah. the the interventions would very often be the thing which would kill you know the the monarch or the you know the, the nobility or whatever but the doctor at least couldn't be said to not be trying because and they would be trying things that really if we we would see today we're clearly just making things way worse mm -hmm. like but um yeah i i hadn't like in my soul thought about how we would do this <laughs> to ourselves in a way with you know interventions that are become extremely important for people because they want to believe the government cares about whether or not grandma's going to die Mm -hmm. or whether or not they're going to get sick or, you know, and so we'll, and there's this morality that gets attached to, oh, well, you have to wear a mask for the 10 seconds while you walk into the restaurant, even if you're going to take your mask off to then eat, like it's this. Because masks are good. Because masks are good. And like, otherwise you might not, it might be a signal that you don't care about us. Yeah. You don't care about the sacrificing your comfort for the collective. And that this is where I'm, I'm thinking about you we could pull it up the uh you know that that meme that is like there's a fish and then there's like the fish stick that's shaped like a fish and then there's a swedish fish and then there's oreo that's swedish fish flavored <laughs> right it's like you know the 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 symbol has a reference to reality the symbol has a reference only to itself the symbol, symbol has, has no reference, reference to another to symbol reality, the symbol right? is just yeah and that you know anyways but the challenge we're trying to so, so my life's project as I've seen it, you know, the story I've told to myself is that the world's getting exponentially more complicated because we are getting, you know, Moore's law, we're getting more and more leverage over the universe. We're getting through science and technology and these incredibly complex systems, we're able to do more as humans, but our ability to think well together and perceive reality and know what we're doing and react to surprise and coordinate around that is it 
best static you know it's we're still mm. in this sort of like 1700s style of of decision making for how to manage public policy and you know our our corporations are fordian you know mm-hmm. like henry ford era kind of like management theories and we haven't figured out how to do this collective intelligence thing nearly well enough to deal with the changing threat landscape of self-created threats through our, our uh, affecting the environment. So anyways, yeah, I've, I've, but the challenge is that the things which are barriers to us being able to perceive the world often go like into your psyche because you don't want to see things that are that jeopardize your status in the group that jeopardize like whether the, you know the, like the, it's so the, you're, you're the, saying the self-blindness is so not just a problem of 100 you can't change it by going from 140 characters to 280 characters right right you know it's like and that's and that's been a thing that's been personally like so you're saying you know overwhelming for <clears throat> me. if i'm if i'm dedicated to kind of truth making or truth finding in in mass right or even group yourself even with other people sure you kind of have to go kind of deep there's a there's a there's a fear that either incentives or self-belief or whatever that is is so strong that it might not even work basically there was a uh, i was drawn to the bay area rationalist world because there was you know a bunch of people who gathered in the same space who were like, how do we perceive the world better? They, they were interested in this project. And for me, this is a, like basically a spiritual project. How do you, we are the universe. How do we see the universe? How do we make more truth manifest? And they had this concept of, well, you've got bugs. So you want to like go through your day and you want to figure out like what, what are the little ways there was a, there was a personal productivity side to it of like, how do we just debug ourselves? So you want to eliminate all of your flaws and biases. What and are the ways that you're standing in your own way? What are the ways that like a small intervention could like, you know, you, you can never find matching socks. Okay, well, so why don't you just go out and buy 20 pairs of the same color socks and then you have less of a problem of finding matching socks. Like there's, sure. there are simple bugs. So and then there's si- just con- creating systems to, yeah, to find ways to do your, interventions. Your and weaknesses and flaws. But one of the things they talked about that I liked is the idea of load-bearing bugs. And that's kind of this, when you've got like a sort of deep-seated belief that the universe is giving you a lot of uh, evidence that this isn't true anymore, right? Or this, maybe it was never true. But in your like web, in your in your Rome graph or whatever, <laughs> there's a that belief is underpinning a ton of other things that you're doing. And it is just a lot of emotional pain to propagate a change in that belief to all these other things. We will find ways to like not acknowledge that that belief, that little node needs to get, get switched Mm -hmm. because it would be so potential, like it would cause so much chaos into our life to change that, to change our mind. It's hard to change your mind. That's why people have to take friggin' ayahuasca and psychedelics or like, <laughs> you know, fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And, you know, only a few people have done that. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think, I mean, certainly, you know, so, uh, you know, as you know, I grew up Mormon or LDS. Great example. And yeah. like, 
when people leave the church, you know, because they cease to believe in one aspect of it and you they know, don't if, buy the boats. Yeah. If you, if you don't believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet because X is wrong, then, you know, as, as we're literally taught within the church that like, Oh, Joseph Smith and the book of Mormon are the keystone of our religion. So if you take that out, the whole thing crumbles. Like mm-hmm. it's not, uh, you know, and that's you. So first of all, that's kind of the, the weakest, that's the easiest place to attack. And so that's usually where people like, I mean, if that falls down, your entire belief system gets yeah. shattered, right? Yeah, um, and, then, and then you start. But the, the interesting about the thing family, is, like, the marriage that you've got. You yeah, know, because the relationship to your kids. Totally. I mean, the way that you treat and believe your family, the way you wear clothes, what you do and don't drink or eat, yep. what you like the way you relate to your community, what you do on Sundays, like yep. what you do and don't read. So, like. It's interesting to watch, you know, most people my maybe not most, but obviously if if you're my age, you, well, let me, let me take a step back. In my parents' generation, it was super, super rare for somebody to leave the church, right? You were so like, if you were in, you were in it for life. And if somebody left, it was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, And now it's like, of the people I served a mission with, so that's like, you know, you're hardcore maybe 50% are still in the church. Yep. Like it's, you know, it's much, it doesn't even phase you anymore to, to know someone who's left, but it's always interesting to watch like what path you go down when you leave the church, because your, your entire moral compass, you have to rebuild from scratch. Yep. Right. And so for some people that's like, you know, I always joke about how, you know, ex Mormons are like, all right, I need to drink alcohol. And then they, you know, as, as like a 25 year old, you drink alcohol for the first time. And it's like, Oh, this sucks. Like I'm going to drink margaritas. Like, you know, I grew up drinking soda. This is like, this doesn't taste good at all. Um, or even like coffee, right? Yeah. It's like, Oh, give me the almond mocha with like two creams when, you know, you can tell when you're hanging out with an ex Mormon and they're like, I can't even drink coffee. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, how do I feel about family? Cause you know, very families are eternal. Kids are good. Monogamous relationship. Like where do you go there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess like it's interesting watching my friends recreate, like it is a load bearing wall. Right. Yep. And if you knock that out, then basically everything, you know, I, and I've even had, friends be like yeah you know i don't believe that in the church anymore like okay like yeah it's fine um you know what do you believe like i don't know am i do i believe in jesus now like yeah it was it was all so wrapped together that i do i believe in god i don't even know one of the most surprising crazy things so the last few weeks I, i went on this like carl young kick digging in deep and he was saying that from 30 on this guy was a you know clinical psychotherapy doing analytic therapy for decades and decades and decades and he said that every person that he met um the only way that people got better and fixed their neuroses was by reconnecting with some form of religion some form of interesting and that the ones who were not able to reconnect with like the the fundamental religious impulse and it, it didn't actually matter which religion it was 
was the interesting thing. He had Jews and Catholics and Protestants. So he's, he, I don't think he was treating a lot of like Hindus or Buddhists, but sure. Hinduism is interesting also because almost they have the, besides the Amish, the lowest recidivism or like the, the lowest number of people leaving the, the church <laughs> in America. It's like 89% of kids raised Hindu stay Hindu. But, um, and I think it's, it could be because we basically have, we already live in a polytheistic society. Sure. Now. Right. And so it's a little bit more amenable. The, the well, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, when I was on a mission, you'd see like a Hare Krishna, you'd be like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And I'm like, awesome. Us too. Yeah. And it's like, it's no challenge. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in a world where you have, you know, this, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just accept it all. We're good. Yeah. Like I, I've got, yeah, it, it, it's, it's helpful. There's, there's not a temptation to, there's not like a, very clear reason to pick one specific path right or to like say but there's still i select x and i don't select y and there's and there's still a structure there's still you know they're able to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, or like or rather like throw the entire bathroom out because there was a bug in the bath sure (laughs) or something like this you know like um but yeah, it was. I just found it pretty interesting that he he found that. So that, only religion, huh? So so, so it, that's the answer to all your therapy problems. It's like you got to find God <laughs> because it gives people some because, notion of some way to deal with the, the fundamental truth that life has a lot of suffering in it. And maybe is you know, and, and it gives them a way of making meaning. And yeah, like. So does that mean? Is that because like we're not? smart enough rationally to be able to like cope with things or to change our minds or is that well i mean the religious impulse is now like it's just like a hack it's everywhere right i mean if you look at for instance this social justice right so like so so would modern day politics be able to serve that same purpose for you everything after nietzsche right so when nietzsche's talking about like we've killed God God and we'll never get rid of the, you know, the blood that has drenched us for like, we're we're holding the knives. Mm -hmm. The thing he was supposedly worried about is that in trying to step in to take the place of God, like look at all of the, the sort of, you know, ideologies that arose in the 20th century, the God shaped hole that, and it is the belief that humans can create, you know, the kingdom of God or, or a place of, equity and equality and abundance and like like the whole progress narrative that is america which is that things can get better Mm -hmm. right and they've you know we don't have this cyclic history version we have this this you know abrahamic notion that like there's linear time continual improvement and continual improvement the arc you know forever it bends towards justice yeah right the arc of history bends towards justice and whether we're doing it through science and technology and sort of creating a paradise of 3d printed five course meals like that <laughs> you know there's this notion that oh if, if we can just give everyone everything then there won't be jealousy and there won't be you know anger and, and there won't be and, hate and yeah. we can we can get to a world where we have eradicated hate as a concept we can if we just crack down on hate speech then we can crack down on hate thought and like then we'll just all be this loving you know what, what's the uh the term they've got uh the gay space communism luxury luxury look fully automated luxury communism is that the one 
Yeah, it fully. Uh, the one I heard was a little bit further, which was fully <laughs> automated luxury gay space communism. Was the was the real, you know? I like yours better. Mine's a little more politically correct, but I, yours, no, I mean this was from the, the left. This was this was not one that like this is rainbow flags on and spaceships. Like this is actually a like. There's no, I, I, you can find yeah. every community on the internet, and there's a community <laughs> of people who want fully automated luxury gay space communism because then, you know. We're all just fucking sucking and like <laughs> 3D printing our amazing bliss machines. Yeah. And um, and this is that's that is a stand in for God. Right. And then when when you can create a totalitarian, you know, a totalitarian just means all encompassing. It's the personalist political. It's every you know, it, it doesn't there's a difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism, but they go kind of hand in hand because if you think that there's one system that's going to have every conceivable answer for how humans should order themselves to create heaven then you got to go all in you go all in on that yeah. and yeah i i uh and when you think that that is something that can be imposed from without and that you can sort of convert people by the sword then i mean you know then you, Islam the end justifies good. the means right yeah, so right. go for it um yeah. and yeah and that's so I would say that politics is is stepped in for God for a lot of folks, um, but the you can still get that crazy cognitive dissonance if you're a a Stalinist and the five year plans aren't working, but your whole psychological framework is based around Stalin as our glorious leader who's going to you know Lead bring us it, bring us bring about the glorious revolution that will liberate the working classes and people are starving all around you and your life is miserable then you either have to blind yourself to the reality that you're experiencing and not be able to sort of propagate fully into your belief structure or yeah you just end up lying to yourself yeah so but but we have the same as you know yeah like what, folks who what believe is, in what technology for me believing in right? technology right believing that like this this is where i've often reflected on you know because my motivating narrative is well it's it's a science driven one it's that if we can figure out how to better perceive the truth together and we can go chase after it we can create abundance for everyone and we can spend our lives pondering the mysteries of the universe and just making things more awesome mm -hmm. you know it's like a lego world everything is awesome kind of right um but yeah like that's also the sort of story in the the tower of babel of you know everyone comes together and says look how great we are we'll build a tower to heaven and we're gonna like bang down the doors of heaven and god just sends confusion and says well actually no you can't speak to each other anymore <laughs> and like that does seem like what happens on twitter a lot <laughs> is that we become unable to communicate and that is one of the things which prevents you know progress as a civilization is that people become my my favorite idea from Rene Girard is that the Ten Commandments are written backwards that basically like the thing that you first experience that causes you to go down the path of eventually replacing God right and and killing and stealing and all these other things is you first covet right even sure. and this is I'm, I'm thinking about uh, did you ever see the movie Enemy at the Gates mm -mm. it's a great movie about snipers in uh stalingrad you know it's, it's okay. a bunch of soviet snipers right and spoiler alert like <laughs> there's this you know 
love triangle drama that happens and one of the like sort of communist like uh political guys he's like a propagandist that is that is there realizes that you can't build a society where there's no where everything's equal because he still wanted some girl who was in love with the cypher guy right there was there's always so there's still be, some zero sum trade there's always going to be some place going to lose yeah and therefore that, i'm going to rebel against communism kind of thing or well, does, it go that, does it go that far or does he just lose faith he and, sacrifices his life to for, you know for something but like um he sort of because he interprets it as a moral failing within himself that like i'm not good enough for communism and also communism isn't good enough for me like it's not going to solve it. this thing but i i think that's kind of the 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 girardian notion is that people start off imitating one another then they end up like desiring the thing they, they we want something because somebody else has it mm-hmm. right and whether that's fame or recognition or resources or whatever right we start off envious or, or we start off imitating because we're like oh that's my hero i want to be like them then we're like why should they have the nice thing and i don't have the nice thing or why should they get all the you know press or credit or all this stuff and i don't and then that selfishness that comes out of imitation creates rivalry and then they end up you have a society that just tears itself apart the gerard notion is that christianity is special because you're told to imitate christ who is imitating god so it's like you know which is it's so seek perfection good luck kind of like not so much right because like jesus isn't you know even even on the cross jesus is doubting Right. I think that's the sort of powerful moment when he's like, like, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's like even like the notion of doubt, I think. And this is another that's thing. I've been the, the Mormon interpretation of that is different, actually. I think it's I, I this but, is this yeah, is a relatively new interpretation even for me. Okay. And it's it's coming out of reading this Jungian stuff, which is that like if you fully believed all the way down deep in your soul, like and it actually like belief is not. It's not about a set of propositions. I think one of the, the things that is, or an idea that I'm I'm coming to and liking is that religion has, um, the game got set up as like, oh, a belief system is just a, a set of claims that you have to say are true, mm-hmm. right? And religion is way older than this notion of propositional truth that is actually like a, a more modern and enlightenment era invention, right? Religion's like, I had someone who was visiting the house who was a convert to Judaism. And I was like, but like, how do you, you know, do you believe all this stuff? He's like, no, Jew, Jews don't have to believe anything. This is a Christian way of thinking about religion. <laughs> I just do. I just observe the Sabbath and do these things. And like belief has nothing to do with it. I live. And it is a, um, but there's something where, there's propositional knowing and then there's like there's knowing what and there's knowing how Mm -hmm. and if belief is really about living in a certain living out things that are deeply subconsciously hard to do like not trying to covet other people things or like 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 not like if it's if it's trying to actually live in a way where you are seeking the goodness of the world, you are willing to sacrifice your own limited beliefs in order to perceive truth as it comes in, right? You're willing to carry your cross. You're willing to sacrifice your like thinking is great. We our thoughts can die, so we don't have to, mm-hmm. right? But it's still a ton of work to like say 
I'm going to let this thought die and I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. But if belief is about continuously doing that or like, then it's not just, Oh, it was, did ancient Jews sail to America? Like is the garden of Eden in Jackson County, Missouri. I, my only <laughs> understanding of the book of Mormon is from the musical. So like all of my references <laughs> to the Mormon faith are going to be, does God live on a planet called Zenos? Like, um, you know, but it's not about those propositional things. It's can you live like Jesus Kolob. did? I think Xenos is Scientology, isn't it? What's the... Kolob. Kola! <laughs> Wait, is Kolob. it... Kolob. K-O-L-O-B. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But, but, but like, it's, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. It's like, can you live like Jesus did? Can you follow... Because Jesus wasn't... Like, like, the modern sort of, you know, spiritual gurus will say, like, you have to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? And Jesus says, well, no, you just have to be like me. But there is an, another, this is the thing I've been digging with Young is like being like me doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a, a you know, a carpenter from zero from 2000 years ago. Right. Like imitating Christ is it is in a sense like finding a way to like live truth, mm-hmm. you know, and be and, and live love and be like kindness and mercy and forgiveness in the world that is like not merciful not kind like not interested in truth um is interested in rising like you have to be willing to say no to satan when he puts you on top of the temple and says everyone will bow to you if you just bow to me mm-hmm. right like that's uh imitating christ is not just about you're not being told to just be yourself you're told like there is there is something to imitate but it's also something you can't imitate without being yourself in yeah, a weird way. That's, right. that's, yeah. that, that actually aligns really well with the Mormon interpretation of like the purpose of life, right? Basically the, the Mormon version is, uh, you know, the, there's a famous sermon from, this is kind of like grab my nightmare fuel. <laughs> good. So this isn't like the, you know, the first thing that you'll be taught if you investigate Mormonism, but basically the, the entire thesis of, Mormonism, I guess, at the end of the day is that, like, basically God and Jesus, well, I guess God specifically used to be like us, but then he perfected himself. And so our goal is to basically do the same thing. And, you know, that's why in the Book of Mormon, it jokes about everybody's going to become a God. Like, the, the mm-hmm. goal is, like, self-perfection in, but, like, not you know, depending on how far you carry that or extrapolate that, like, in your own way to some degree, like you, you become the perfected version of what you are supposed to be effectively. Anyway, um, the, the other interesting mental model that I've come across in that line of, you know, what is belief and why do we believe was, you know, when I was in Ukraine and we were talking to religious people all day, the kind of the former Soviet or I guess, uh, Russian Orthodox version of faith is less like, it's not necessarily about belief in the like American Protestant Christian way. Like, so, you know, the, I guess the Judaism version is no, I just act and doesn't, you know, I don't have to like believe. But the, it, to, to actually act is to believe. Is in it, it like, I like this William James's belief is willingness to take irrevocable action. Sure. Right. But then and it's belief is embodied, not just propositional. Oh yeah. I can right. say this. Like this, I've convinced this. myself that X is true. It's like, I'm actually doing 
why, therefore, I believe yeah. the the Russian Orthodox version. And this isn't true for everybody, of course, but it's it's more nationalistic, for lack of a better term, to describe it. So, like, you know, one guy was like, you know, I don't know why you're from, you know, you Americans are trying to talk to us about religion. Like, we're obviously, you know, Russian Orthodox. And I was like, well, what if you're wrong? He's like, what do you mean? You know, what if I'm wrong? It doesn't nobody cares who's right or wrong. Like, it's just like, I'm, I was born here. I'm Russian Orthodox. Like that's how it works. Like the same way, you know, I am a Springville red devil. It doesn't, I don't think Springville high school is better than Provo high school. Like it just doesn't matter. It's just like, that's where you were born. That's the lot you were given. That's what it is. And like, for me, it, you know, it's like a, it was one of those like, Oh, I didn't like, for him, you know, for, for me growing up Mormon, like religion is a process of, Oh, you need to like analyze everything, determine for yourself what is true. You need to choose from this and menu that's like the, of labels, which yeah, that's labels. the founding narrative yeah. of like, all right, go out and, you know, think go about the all the churches yeah. and then you will discover that this is the one that is true. Right. Yeah. Um, which actually is a, you know, it's a pretty compelling, like it, it works for conversion because it makes it, it encourages, discovery and like you know i'm going to be honest with myself in all of this and like i you know as an individual i will analyze and i will come to a conclusion about like and that's you know that's a very western american like that's how we do things right it's almost rational it's not quite rationalism but it's, it's like it's like if you cut your soul off at your neck and said my soul only exists between my chin and the top of my head yeah. And I don't need to, I mean, it, yeah, it's funny because as someone who's put so much of their life into something that is about, because I, I, I do believe that the progress of civilization is about the ability for us to, to some extent, externalize our representations of the world, right? Like, you know, powerful ideas need to be somehow put into the environment and if you can get them outside of your head and into some medium powerful ideas require a medium for expressing them right and so you know vector calculus or like um yeah like like the squiggles that Feynman diagrams for you know the physics shit that Feynman is doing right Mm -hmm. um those are mediums for expressing powerful ideas and you know like there's a, a story about someone came into Feynman's office and there were like papers all over this. And he was like, Oh, that's where you recorded your thinking. He's like, no, that's where my thinking happened. It happened on the page. Mm -hmm. So with Rome, like my project has been about if you can get your ideas outside of your head, if you can put them into some sort of structure that actually is a, a better medium for representing certain kinds of ideas, then you can think thoughts that were just like, there's things you can't see without a microscope, things you can't hear without sonar or whatever. Like, um, their thoughts you can't think without a better medium for thinking them. Mm-hmm. And so, but I've been, <laughs> I've been wrestling a lot with the, the kinds of things which are true that aren't just propositional, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't just, and the kind of thinking that is not just verbal or uh, linguistic. And anyway, so that's my, well, so, so trying, to, you... trying to deal with my shadow, trying to integrate myself and be like, okay, what's the part of the world that I'm not looking at? Because I've over-specialized in this stuff that's between my chin and my top of my head, right? So that's mm. and it's like the meditation stuff that's the embodied 
like Plato was a wrestler, you know, like those guys <laughs> lived in their bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's gnarly, man. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I went, I went down this path of like, uh, you know, like hypnosis is still a topic that is fascinating to me. Like you know, the division of, you know, conscious and subconscious or, you know, every, every philosopher has different words for it. And it's why late night TV is so dangerous. Why is that? When you're like tired, you're more susceptible to hypnosis. Something like 30% of the population is extremely susceptible to hypnosis. And if you think Got about it, it so your late, rational mind's turned off and whatever you hear is just, and it's just going straight going into straight your subconscious through. and it ends up being stuff that you, you can't fully examine. You just sort of, it's like, like half of, uh, all right. Not to politicize things too much, but it's like my parents love MSNBC. Mm-hmm. And they watch it all the time. That's right. I've got a Fox News dad. I'm yeah. Same same thing. But it's fascinating that there was a study that the New York Times did, and it was something like like seventy percent of folks who watch you know the, the liberal news think that you have between a twenty and a fifty percent chance of getting hospitalized if you get COVID. When in reality, it's like hmm. you know depending on pre-existing conditions and whether you're over 80, it's like between one and 5%. Mm-hmm. If you're healthy, it's like nowhere near that. Yeah. But when you realize like, I, I think they actually just said across democratic voters, it was with Republicans, it's still an order of magnitude you know, above, <laughs> above what the risk actually oh, is. Oh really? Repu- Republicans are still above. They're still like, ten, they still think there's just like a 10% that, chance. That tail risk is, you're always going to overestimate the tiny tail risk. Or you're going to, you're visible. always going to overestimate it when all of these when everybody's TVs talking about it and all radio the time. and everything sure. is talking about it all the time. It's just like sure. people are, you know, like more worried about, we're not death. that analytical. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're not, we're especially not good at dealing with separating narratives from enormous or tiny numbers, especially. Yeah. And so we think we have our, our sense making system is based on, you know, it's still a mass media one where it's like a, a large number of people give a small few power centers a lot of attention to tell them what's going on in the world. And when those power centers are exaggerating because it gets them more eyeballs, because it's like, I think it's, it was a similar thing. There was a study of, and I know, I know I'm only going on, you know, one, one side, side of the political spectrum here, but like I, I'm, it, it applies all over the place, but folks um, who were associated with Black Lives Matter thought that there were like 10,000 unarmed black people getting shot per year by sure. police when it was like between 10 and 50, you know, or like, I think the number was 15. Um, yeah. So just that the narrative is so powerful that it that distorts are, views of reality. And numbers are not in a nat, especially large numbers and statistically. Yeah. And especially, like, yeah. When you're talking about on the scale of like U.S. citizens, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was like, when I was younger, anything above a million dollars was the same to me. It was yeah. just like, it was just a lot. It was just so much that you can't even think of it, you yeah. know? Um, and now, you know, I'll see a company sell for 500 million and then a company raise at a $2 billion valuation. Those are super different, like tangible things for me now Yeah. in a way that when, you know, when I was 18, it's just like, oh, that's just so much money. Like, it just doesn't yeah. matter, right? Yeah. Um, well, because now you're thinking and now, like, differently because now you're not now thinking I know about I have a representation of what a billion means in yeah. a way that I didn't before. Right? I, and I think one of the big things is that when you're – like, my, my first jobs were construction. 
and mm-hmm. I was so pumped to make 20 bucks an hour when I was working overtime, yeah. right? Because the things that I was imagining were consumables. I was, I was, my whole point of reference for what money meant was how many hours do I have to trade to get this motorcycle, Right. <laughs> you know? Or like how many hours do I have to trade to be able to pay rent for this month, right? And when you're, your frame shifts dramatically when you start creating companies because you're like, okay, how many other people can I allow to dedicate their lives to this project and put food on the table? And like your, your point of reference is no longer about yourself. It's about how big a team you can build in order to go do the thing that requires many people to do what kind of, you know, can we build a factory? Can we like, what kind of opportunity am I given by the means of the money that I have in order to like to direct uh, to, to direct attention cool stuff. Yeah. yeah totally. To direct attention totally. And, or to like open up or importance for other people who want ta- to do by it. other people's time and effort yeah. and energy and not even like, and the, the most, like, I think this goes back to the whole, um, one of the things I've been reflecting on a bunch is the ways in which I attribute the worst motivations to other people and the best motivations to myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Where, you know, um, like, I mean, it's one of the reasons that we've been working on end-to-end encryption for Rome is like, w- I don't want the power that Google has to read all of your Google Docs, read all your Gmail, and use that to control what ads they're putting in or any of this. Like, I, I think I want, you want to remove for- that temptation or ability like you you want that exactly I, I want the temptation gone right yeah. i want i don't want i don't want the ability to like you know we have all these i, I feel sort of yeah like, well, what's that block? we have these incredible policies of like you know if you were to read somebody some user's graph you're done like you're, you're sure you're but i don't want that temptation you want, to exist you don't Even, want it to be possible i don't want it to be possible for one of my engineers to get kidnapped by some state and have their toenails pulled out until they get some <laughs> passcode that allows some even if i can even if i feel like i can trust the people i've hired i don't want to have a, a risk of somebody coercing them into doing something that were you know totally. that were dangerous and that's where you want the, the technological solution to eliminate sometimes you want choice and you want humans in the center of the system and sometimes you want to remove choice because that way there's just there's this saying that the you know, mankind progresses based on the number of things we don't have to think about, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, like <laughs> I have a lot of contradictory beliefs that I think are both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you don't you don't want to hand it over. You don't want Disneyland without no children. You don't want a world where it's just algorithms building things for algorithms, and you know humans are just puppets in the in the midst of the being fed fast food or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to live in Wally or whatever that movie is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know, going back to the to the money thing, when it was, it was fascinating to me when I got to the point where I bought my first house, right? Because mm-hmm. that felt like, you know, I was, I you know followed the same trajectory, right? When I when I was 
working in college, I was working full time and I'd make $800 a month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can, you know, I can do whatever I want with this. I, yeah. can, I can buy a car. And with that car, I can even drive have, you didn't places even have that, beer that you had I to want spend to money go. on. Like no, think about the amount of limitless no, I was opportunity like, for you because you had limitations. <laughs> I just spent my money on beer. No, yeah. I was pure frozen burritos, baby. That was, that was it. Yeah. Then like, and then, you know, you make 40,000 a year and you're like, Oh wow. I can like, you know, get a car that actually runs and I can like have an apartment and I can like buy the more expensive orange juice on a special occasion. It's funny. I, my wife used to drink orange juice. I can't even imagine drinking orange juice now anyway. Um, but now it's like, so I bought a, my first house a couple years ago. Right. And it felt like the biggest luxury spending. It wasn't expensive houses, you know, size of a down payment relative to Bay area houses. Um, but the really crazy thing about it was that like, you know, a, a year later we ended up in a weird scenario where we sold that house and like I made money. Right. And so like you, you cross a threshold at which like the things that you buy, you don't actually lose money on. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you're, when you're middle to low income, everything that you touch is a depreciating asset, right? You buy food, you buy clothes, like it's all going to zero and it's just a matter of how long it takes for it to get to zero. Um, And, you know, cars and really like a house is the first time that you experience that. And then I, you know, I started investing in startups. It was like, I treated it like it was this gluttonous, like luxurious, like I just, you know, I think it would be really cool to own shares in this company. Cause I think the founder is really cool. Yep. And then, you know, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but then like the value grows and yep. you're like, Oh, this is such a different world. But I, th- I think it's also one of those things that it's, it's so difficult to, to empathize with until you've experienced it that, you know, when I'm talking to uh bloom tech students now and it's like, you know, going from making 25 K a year to making 80 K a year is just so massively different that it, I I don't even know how to describe it to people or to explain it to people. Yeah. And then when I, you know, when I talk to VCs, some are like, yeah, 85 K like, you know, I guess their life changes a little bit, 25 to 85 K. You're like, no, that's like, that's everything. You know, that's like, I can't provide for myself so I can provide for my family comfortably. And I'm going up from there. So I think that like, and, and and somebody was doing the math on, it was, I, I was in a, you know, signal check that was looking at like Jack Dorsey's donations to, you know, he, his net worth is like 11, 12 billion and he's throwing, you know, 3 million there, 5 million there. And, was, and we're so hard to give money away. Oh, so hard. And we're joking because they're and have it, because you're used to being effective with it and you don't want to just, there are a few know. donations that were like 50,000 and I, and we were laughing about like, you know, how yeah. would it feel to be the $50,000 donation from Jack Dorsey? Amazing. <laughs> no, like seriously, because Rome was, uh, oh, actually, could I grab one of those? Thanks. Thanks. I'm thirsty. Um, yeah, thank you. You know, my first company, I started with 10 grand that I won in a business plan competition. And I think that money came from like Raytheon and like, you know, 
a bunch of other companies had, had put some money into UMass to run this and and we took third prize for yeah. my first company right and that was the difference between I'm gonna go work construction this summer versus I can actually start this as a company and hire someone yeah. and like actually because you know with the first company I couldn't find anyone who wanted to work for sweat equity so the like I had to pay for everything and it was it was completely life-changing you know and then that company had a we had a small exit and I was able to pay off student loans and help my brother and family and that was great but then I spent that money down to nothing mm-hmm. and got another 10k investment when I, I I'd spent down to nothing but it built the first prototype and I was able to get 10k that kept me from having to go get another job yeah and that and then so that's a binary move for you right it was that's like completely life-changing 10k each time was completely life-changing and um yeah like if you can do that a number of times i mean we, we've had we've had bloom tech students who other you know someone has like paid their paid part of their rent you know 400 or 500 dollars and that's the difference between like yep I'm an, a software engineer making 85k, or I'm waiting tables, right? Yep. Um, or and, I'm, you know, I'm doing something I don't really believe in versus I'm feeling like I have the chance to go pursue my life's work. And it's not going to be enough to just—it's not enough to just give somebody 10k. Like, all right. So on this this, well, this money the, discussion, c- compare I've been that to how you think about 10k now. on the roof. Okay. Right. And. Because, all right, so, you know, like, if I were a rich man, my favorite thing about this is the end of it. Because he says, and I would have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray mm. and maybe have a seat by the Eastern Wall. And I'd discuss the learned books with the holy men seven hours every day. And that would be the greatest gift of all. I'm like, what is podcasting? but a bunch of men with small fortunes <laughs> discussing the holy books, right? And like, there's another section where I was just thinking about, oh, this is what VCs want. It's like, um, you know, like, what is it? he says, uh, he basically is talking about how everyone would come to him for advice. Pardon me, Reptavia, if you please, Reptavia, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And then he's like, and it wouldn't make one bit of difference whether I answered right or wrong. Right. When you're rich, they think you really know. And it's like, that's why people want to go be a partner at Sequoia. <laughs> oh, I, I <laughs> like, mean, <they're... laughs> believe me, as an investor, like, the crazy thing about... People it, ask you for advice on things you have no idea about. Well, and whatever you say, they're going to... Well, it's like, and... I'm deciding if I want to say this or not okay um i will uh because i don't care anymore uh which we can talk about the the meaningfulness of not having to worry about if you'll get fired (laughs) like in discourse and twitter and like uh yeah we didn't talk about jack going well anyway um the so you know i i don't have a big fund by any stretch right um but today I had, you know, one company that I invested in was like, hey, you know, what we're working on isn't going to work. And it was like this super heartfelt, thoughtful, apologetic, 
you know, I'd only put like five or 10 K yeah. from, from a fund into this company, not even of, you know, my money f of, you know, of a million dollar, $2 million, you know, quarterly fund. Yeah. And they were like, so sincere and so careful. And they were like being such good stewards of that capital and, you know, they're pivoting. And I was like, great, go for it. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, on the, in the same day, I had another company. It's like, hey, we just raised it like a twenty x valuation versus what you invested in, and you know that investment offsets. If that co other company were to go to zero, it doesn't matter for me, yep. right? Yep. yep. Um, and I, so there are a few things that I underestimated until I started investing. And I don't. I'm not like a real investor with a real fund with like. No, you're just I mean, I, I do have a real fund. Like there, there is into, real money yeah. involved, but yeah. I'm not Sequoia by any stretch, right? Um, but I, I underestimated how strong portfolio theory is to where, like, my incentives are actually to have a few big wins and everybody else. Like, I think there was this when I was an early stage founder. There was always in the back of my mind was like not always, but like, are, you know, the people that, how disappointed in me are they right now? Like how proud of me are they? Like, am I doing the right thing? Um, and like, I learned over time that they, they think about me far, far less than I thought they did. Right. Like for, you know, for many of them, and anyway, it's it's not true for everybody, but there's some that like they literally forgot they invested and, you know, happy to be along for the ride and like, you know, good luck. Yeah. And net net, I assume that all of my startup investments will work out. Um, but as you know, when you're the founder, when you're the CEO, you feel the weight of the, you know, the entire company, the entire world, all of your investors and like. Well, because there's also a difference, right? Some. This is one of those to who has much more will be given to who has little, even that will be taken from them. Like Oof. not everyone is not everyone is playing in portfolio theory. Like the people who are at your company only have the capital that is their talent and their time. Right. And you know, there there's, and you are putting your life, you know, you're yeah. like years or decades into of your life into a thesis that only works if you are right against the majority. Yeah. Right. Only if you are right about something where everyone else in the world is wrong at like, then you can create a bunch of new value and you don't have a portfolio to, to, you to know, fall back on, to fall back on. Right. And it's, the people who fully are fully binary and the people who are, who are working at your company don't have a portfolio to fall back on. So the weight is the weight of, the lack of optionality it's like the investors are this is part of the you know the reason i i didn't want rum to be we we raised far less money than we could have at every stage oh of for it. sure i'd give you more money right now yeah yeah because i didn't want the people that i was working for to be you know folks that it is one bet of many one stock and, in a portfolio of a thousand yeah. and but you know um yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's so many there. different tangents I could go on in this, but like, I, I think I underestimated the extent to which like, as a founder, 
like it's really it's you at the end of the day right there's no you know you can go to investors for advice uh and when people come to me for advice i feel weird about it right it's like okay i have seen this before i've seen a lot of other companies but like i don't understand the first thing about your company i don't like the specific needs that you have i mean well this is this is the thing i was thinking about when i was watching this fiddler on the roof mm -hmm. right is the difference in perception because i feel like i work harder than i've ever worked <laughs> you know and it's like but it's also a different it's it's definitely a very different kind of work than when i would wake up at four in the morning and then hop in the back of a van to drive across state lines to go lay industrial flooring with a bunch of chemicals and yeah it's a very different kind of work and it is closer to yabba dibba dabba dum like <laughs> i you know i do get to discuss the like the holy books with the learned men sure you know um and yeah the, the question of what you're working hard for also changes though right so mm. anyways I, I, but i was I was particularly thinking about this versus Gwen Stefani's If I Were a Rich Girl. And I was like, man, I was just longing for Anna Tevka, you know, like mm. the because this guy's desire to be rich was the sweetest thing of all was to be able to seek wisdom and have a deeper relationship with God. And like that was what he told himself was the motivation for why he wished he had a small fortune versus. Gwen Stefani doesn't actually even want anything in that song. She's like, if I were a rich girl, I would have all the money in the world. Like mm -hmm. that's like, it's a tautology. <laughs> I'm like, also your definition of rich is actually so covetous that you, you don't want a small fortune so that you can have a yard filled with turkeys and geese, right? <laughs> you want all of the money, yeah. which is if it's, it sort of says something about the, the cultural change of like, <laughs> you know, like, well, cause you can cause, look, you can look at it as like abundance and prosperity too. Right. Like, well, I, I don't know. Cause I don't think there's abundance and prosperity when Gwen Stefani is saying, if I were a rich girl, she's very rich. <laughs> she's extremely rich. Right. And I, I, what's well, what I'm saying. I, I think like, a lot she, about she, like, she has, abundance, you can only serve two right? servants, God or money. Okay. Right. Like this is another Bible quote, mm -hmm. you know, and um, like money can be a tool or it can be an ends and a means in and of itself. And I think, you know, just like uh, I, I think, you know, Naval said it like the uh, the reward for fame is being on stage. The cost of fame is never being able to get off of it. Mm -hmm. Right. There is something where when you have an audience, when you have people paying attention to you, you have a you have a, a point of leverage. You have the ability to, people are looking to you for what to attend to. And mm -hmm. so that gives you, you know, influence is not like, influence isn't just, are you going to hype up eight sleep and get more people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, uh, but, I mean, but influences um, like, you can if if you think there is something worth attending to you can bring other people's attention to it you're you have more responsibility for that because if you're having them all attend to something that is net net destructive to the world 
and you can and and that's the weight that you're feeling there right? the weight that you're feeling when you're talking about how as a founder you felt so much weight you have the weight of because it's not just your life you're making decisions about no it's the, it's, the hundreds of people that work for me and it i mean it's a lot me. of it's and it's the couple people that work for you still feels like a it's lot. the thousands of potential the thousands of students we've had and the thousands of yeah. like it's i mean and that's weight oh my gosh i mean there there was a time when you know when i'd be recruiting and people would be like the level of impact that you know bloom tech is or they at the time would say lambda school is having is just like so cool right i used to work at like a, an ad tech company and you know uh it just didn't feel very meaningful. It's and like I, the greatest minds of my generation. Yeah, yeah. they're all optimizing, optimizing clicks. Yeah. clicks. But I was like, it's both the I had I had to like warn people that like it is the best thing in the world and it is the absolute freaking worst thing in the world. Because like, I mean, I'm I'm now I promised myself that this would never happen, but I'm fully desensitized to someone going from minimum wage to a hundred thousand a year. And they can like be telling me all about their family and how it changes everything. And like, I've, I've been so inundated with that, that I can't, I don't feel anything anymore. Um, and then the flip side of that is like, if someone puts all of their, maybe, maybe we should just have you break rocks in the yard for a two days to get like, oh man, you know, or like, like maybe you need to take a vacation. That's like going and working in a warehouse. No, I just like, to resensitize yourself to this. I, I legitimately told my wife, this is like last year, like I'm just going to go work at McDonald's for a week or like I'm going to go drive Uber um, just because like it's not like I don't think it's, you know, money that has desensitized me. It's just like I've been swimming like I've been swimming in that for so long. Um, but anyway, the, the point I was going to make before was someone come in and be like, the level of impact we have is so awesome. And I'd be like, yeah, it's great until you're up at night thinking like, oh, I wonder if there's something, you know, it's 2 a.m. If I worked a little bit harder, could I get so-and-so hired? And, mm -hmm. you know, they're not hired right now. And, you know, if I make the wrong decision here, you know, what are the second and third order effects that has, I mean, you know, like we've done layoffs before, right? I've like eliminated the jobs of 50 people at a time. And that sucks. Um, and at the same time, I know that I have to do that in order to have a shot at changing the lives of millions and millions of people. And, you know, the, the thing that makes me sleep a little bit better at night is those people are like, I mean, everybody that we've ever laid off has had a job instantly. Right. Whereas if the vision of bloom tech dies, you know, there are millions of people who could have a dramatic life changing experience that won't. Right. Yep. So like, um, and that you know, kind of wraps back around to like, I have to be super careful about thinking, you know, the end justifies the means or oh, yeah, cause that's how you can get the like prison camps and the, Right, because the, the vision is so compelling, and it's more compelling to me than to anybody else in the world by, like, 100x. You know, and I can only imagine how some folks feel that, like, our orders and order. you know, I'm, like, in the scheme of things, I, 
what I've done in my life rounds to zero so fast that, you know, 99.9999999% of people have never, you know, heard of us or care and it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, All right. This, this gets to, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go theological for a second here. All right. Right. Cause so you were talking earlier about the Mormon aspiration to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the, uh, so Cantor, like I think it's Georg Cantor or George Cantor was a mathematician who was working on, uh, trans infinite set theory. And like the question of like, are some infinities greater than others? And yes. And, and he ended up in a sanatorium, like losing his mind cause he was wrestling with God in the math that he was doing hmm. and thinking about, but there's something I think beautiful about the, the, the idea that there's, if you are comparing yourself to some perfection is an infinite series, mm-hmm. right? And in some way, you know, if we're, if we're just going with natural numbers of like one, two, three, four, right. And you're at like five, billion you know and i'm at two you're further along the series than i am but we're both equally far far away from the end yeah right and i think there's that that there's something that for me is like religious about that where it's like perfection is not something you're ever going to achieve you can keep moving along the path but if you're spending all your time thinking about okay i'm at 400,522 and this person's at 300,876 so look how much better I am than them like you're completely missing the point oh yeah right? no I like yeah it doesn't yeah so I don't know the, the rounds to zero thing of like it's like you know in a thousand years we're all dust it'll always round to memories. zero anyway. yeah it's like it's, yeah. it doesn't matter how much more work you do you're still gonna round to zero but the question is are you able to like because the flip side of this is i have felt like i've been going through you know a lot especially in the last few weeks but like like the last year and, and part of it is that there was all in this collective intelligence thing you know my my path was always build a medium that allows me to express thought in a certain kind of way um, and build a system where like, okay, we can make a sustainable business with that. So we can bring in people who are smarter than me in various domains and we can figure out how to do sense making together. And then, then we can do the real challenge, which is trying to build this way for people to think better together. And, you know, for a long time, I felt like I was kicking the can down the curb where there were like hard design challenges and hard technical challenges and hard, like, how do you build that kind of culture? How do you actually do this reasoning? And I was like, well, I have enough money in the bank for me and my co-founder to live for three months. So I need to worry about how to make sure that within three I months, need to buy we three have more months. I need to buy three more months, 100%. right? Or I just need to make sure that we can get to a place where the company's profitable. And so then we can set this up or I need to hire this person or that person. And there is some like I was I was so inspired by Tyson Fury recently, the the world heavyweight champion, um, the, the Gypsy King, because he was talking about basically after he won the world heavyweight championship, he just ended up with these three worst years of his life where he was overcome with 
depression and anxiety and guilt and he was you know 400 pounds and doing cocaine every day and drinking every day and Hmm. had you know lost the will to live in a bunch of ways and there is something where achieving some goal that you've had that has been the thing which you've been orienting your life towards and getting to some place of stability suddenly opens you up to a much larger field of chaos where you there were there were things that were happening in your life you couldn't you didn't have the attention to give them there were problems you couldn't even see because your adrenaline was pumping to just make sure that you, your survival instincts were i've got to i've got to do this and i'm going to put my blinders on and shut everything else out and you know it can get overwhelming to succeed on one domain and then see all these other places where you're like wow i'm really not succeeding here i'm mm-hmm. like you know like what happened what's happened in my relationship with god what's happened in my relationship with myself with my family with these and like or in my case it's like wow here's all these problems that i've felt i have some you know oh as soon as we can knock these out i'll be able to focus on these and you're like wow actually these problems are harder than i had imagined mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was a reason that i oh, didn't yeah. want to work on those before is like those are and you know now i have i've i've spent 10 years of my life and I'm finally in a position where I I've like reached some boss in this level and I finally get the chance to fight this boss and like whoa like am I strong enough for this one now like it's like it took me 10 years to get to the place to fight this thing and then you're worried whether you've got it and then you've got to go back to square one in a sense of like building yourself you know yeah it's funny in the find finding the the path forward there for a long time in the in the early days, a lot of my motivation was I want to get to a point where I know personally I'm not going to have to go back to a job that I hate again, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, like, for me, there was, like, a dramatic mental shift when, like, I mean, some some startup investments that I'd made went really, really well. So Some other stuff happened, and it's, like, I know that I'm not going to have to go back to a job ever again. Right. Um, and then all that's left, right? Like, so, um, you know, I had, I had a conversation with one of our bigger investors that was like, you know, we've had acquisition offers before we've, you know, all, all this stuff. Um, is this what you want to be doing with your life? Right? Like, are you sure? Um, and then in the hard times, like what happens if, you know, there's, let's imagine a scenario where there's no revenue coming in ever again. GPT three actually solves the engineering problem and no one needs to get trained as an engineer Uh, or some crazy, or yeah, say, I, I can't even imagine a scenario where we'd actually have no revenue coming in, but like, um, Say as an example, I I can't even imagine. It's like farcical, but like you would. What if you had to, you know, lay off everybody other than you? Like, you know, there's no more money in the bank. What would you do? And I was like, I just keep going, right? Like, there's not. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there there's certainly ways you can run out of money, such that like you have to declare bankruptcy in a worst case scenario. But like, I I reach the point at which I can do whatever I want to do with my time. Yeah. 
and this is the thing that I want to do. And now all that matters is, can I be successful at that? And I don't have like that nagging, like, oh, and by the way, you know, if you, at the end of this runway, you could go back to another job or you could, you know, pull out your resume again. Like even with that gone, like it doesn't change much. Like it, 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 well, it changes a lot and it changes nothing at the same time. Like it changes. Okay. I know that like, this is what I'm doing. And I know like I have these crazily ambitious plans and most people think I'm crazy and I don't care. You, you, like you have to reach that point where, and I think that was the hardest thing for me to develop as a CEO, like where I could look everybody that I trust in the eye. And as long as I had done my own analysis and believe that that's where I wanted to go, that's where I'm going to go. And I don't like, I don't have to seek any external validation for that. And I don't have to have anybody's permission for that. I mean, I think that comes along with all that weight too, though, that you were talking about earlier. Like, Cause then it's like, well, if you're going to make the decision without, you know, um, yeah, you bear the responsibility. Now, the, the other, the other challenge you got there. So this is like one of the things I've, been reflecting on a bunch is like what um so the i I like the idea of the flood myth you know right of okay well when the flood comes did you build your levees for a hundred year flood and did you divert a bunch of resources into you know like corruption and you know lining your own pocket or like are you ready for like the thousand year flood or the the like will your will your levees stand when like the rain comes Hmm. um and you know the idea that that's what the flood myth is really about and one of the things i've been so so there's this sense that your systems aren't stable if you are willfully blind to the places where you might be wrong and so one of the, the challenges that I have, or I would, yeah, I want to say it is like one of the mistakes or one of the sort of like things I've struggled with in the last year is I had this vision of, okay, we'll build a great note-taking tool basically. And then we're going to try to figure out a system for building a collective intelligence on top of this new medium that takes advantages of the affordances of the medium that lets us do these things you can't do in Google Docs or in Notion or in, you know, Jira or whatever. And we're going to, the same way that I had built Rome based on my own, you know, insufficiencies as a person with really bad ADHD, (laughs) I was like... I was living in the product and sort of iterating on, okay, well, what can I do now? What do I need the tool to be able to do so I can do this next thing? And I had this sort of tight feedback loop with myself and that got us one place, right? Suddenly I try to hire a ton of people and build a system that is both a a culture and like a set of habits and ways that we're running the company and we're doing all this. But my, the thing I was telling folks is I was like, listen, I don't, we don't, we're profitable now. We don't actually care about like, we, we need to focus on, are we able to think well together? Are we able to communicate well? Are we able to like integrate new people into our ability to think as a system? And we're just going to focus on that. And I don't care if 
the metrics go, but like, I don't care if they go up or down. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I hadn't realized was that living that way where I'm not being metrics driven, you know, I, we'd, we'd been very like, okay, are we going to grow 10% week over week? Are we, can we, can we hold that? If we can hold that, then look at this Excel chart. Like, well, we will be able to reach this profitability goal. Mm -hmm. Right. And we'll be able to hire the people that we want to hire and pulling that away. Folks who spent their whole life in, you know, these, uh, like school, the teacher, it matters what the teacher, the teacher is the one grading your test. Right. And, you know, there's like internal politics in all these places. And it's like, well, really what matters is does the boss like what you're doing? And I was trying to build a culture where we're all looking at the ground reality of how well are we thinking together? And, I might have been thinking about this problem for a lot longer. I might have some ways of seeing that are different from folks who've never worked on it before, but like, I want other people to help me perceive reality. Like I've, you know, like we, I don't care necessarily like that this person's making a bunch of noise on Twitter and causing some chaos and like, or this person is like, like we have a lot of things that we need to balance. And, but the thing that I found is a bunch of people who I'd hired were like, they thought that their job was to make me happy as opposed mm. to like challenge or like see your reality like that. And, and my actions were doing something different than my words were. Right. And that was the, like, cause the, there's this, um, a great, well, I've only heard summaries of it from Twitter, but I've heard a lot of really good things about this, this uh, book called the guru papers, which is an analysis of actual cults. And one of the things they talk about is when the leader is the one who's sort of setting the frame through which all meaning is coming in, right? They end up not, they end up, the leader becomes blind to problems in the organization or problems in the, the community or the culture because people are so attached to the opinion of like, they, they basically don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Right. And that's a really like, you don't want to, you don't want to be cutting your eyes out, when, right. you know, you like, create intentional deception within yeah. the culture. And so there's something yeah. where it's like, you know, you need to have the self-trust and you need to say, I'm not doing this. I'm doing this for the goal and I don't care about external validation or whether this makes me popular. Like there is something like powerful about, I'm not going to be allowing myself to be driven by the news cycle or like the you know how many yep. likes are happening and there's something that allows you to orient towards a higher good when you're doing that but there's also a risk that people will then just orient to you yes. and then you're blinding yourself and then you end up like what have i done <laughs> what, have, <laughs> what like how you know in your yeah um so yeah where we're like I, <laughs> this I, is I, a uh, i actually got to take off in a bit yeah uh, We'll see if there's a, a, a thread line through this that's worth worth running with, but like, um, <laughs> I just got got a notification that my heart rate is too high for sitting like I am. <laughs> oh, really? Good. good. It's a good good conversation. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so in summary, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes, Holmes had has a, a wolf dog. Shit, it was actually a husky. Actually a husky. <laughs> yeah. And those reporters didn't didn't care care about the nuance that it is That's partially like you don't if, if you're willfully blind to something because it supports your frame and your narrative 
you know, you're you're welcome. You're beckoning chaos. I think we actually we, we came full circle in some ways. Not really, but we'll we'll say we did. You can be unintentionally willfully blind. <laughs> there you go. Right, and the challenge is how to not do that. How do you like? I don't know. How do you do that? How do you not know? How do you stay curious? So, like, all right, here's here's my closing point with this because okay. it, it relates to your like challenge as a founder who cares about the thing that you're trying to solve, right? Is would you there? There's this Jungian idea that you know, in terms of like stages of development of parts of yourself, you go from being a a fool because whenever you're doing something you don't know how to do, you're a fool, or you know the fool can sort of graduate to the, the savior, but you have a risk of becoming the tyrannical king, mm-hmm. right? And the tyrannical king is able to say, like, and this is maybe a risk for any intellectual person, right? Is that you have this theory of the world that is so, so locked in, and it can become locked in because you're spending all this time fighting the external world, right? Like Mormons have an, a whole culture they've got to fight. <laughs> you know, it, it's not that they're, you're living in an a-religious world, you're living in a world where everything is trying to sell you sex and immediate satisfaction and money and power. And like, you know, there, there is a like subtle religion of advertising that you're trying to resist. And so you can shield yourself against that by becoming so much more confident in your frame on how the world actually is that you're not able to see you're, you're, you're kind you're turning a blind eye to the places where your models are wrong. And then you're so, locked in and you're you're would you rather be right or would you rather be learning you know and can you maintain curiosity even when there's a bunch of things which are not good or not true that are sort of barreling down on you and trying to sort of distort your world you know or your worldview can you still allow whatever truth is in the can you can you hear the love that is in the hater right Mm. because there's you and me both get a ton of haters yeah and the, I, I think... The, no, I think to a person, well, not, the, not all of them. The hate that stings the most is when there's, a, when there's an aspect of truth in whatever the hater's talking about. And you're like, yeah, that's true, but you don't get the whole picture of how it fits together. And then you can... I mean, there generally I, is, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if there's anybody that's, like, just making stuff up that's completely fake, right? Yeah. They're, they're looking at things from a different angle, or in some cases they may be trying to take things out of context, but, like... I get it, you know, like, yeah, I, or, you know, they, they have a different goal than I do of what the ideal world looks like. Yeah. And for a lot of people, the ideal world looks like the thing that I'm trying to build not existing because that encumbers the thing that they really wish existed. So, you know, my very existence, uh, means their exist, the existence of their, fully automated luxury gay space communism <laughs> is less likely, right? Um anyway. Uh yeah, it's really good closing statement. Yeah. We'll close would you rather there. be would you rather be right or would you rather be learning? Learning. learning.